Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Together, shall we? It says there, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, you can speak. You can't shout behind your mask, but you can speak behind your mask. I'm going to ask you to just join in with me by uh, repeating this verse if we can. So, after three, one, two, three, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, joy's foundation, and we heard this last week, is not based on happenings, and neither is it from goodwill or the benevolence of others that makes us happy. Joy is not found in pleasures or material gain, that new car or, 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 or that foreign holiday that you may have planned, nor is it about opportunities and new adventures. Now, this joy that we're hearing about and that we talk about over these next four weeks, it's a foundation. It's, it's base and anchor is found only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. And if you are new to faith or have been in faith for some time and you've wondered why your life has just kept going like this, it's probably because you built it around happenings which create happiness rather than joy. Paul, the writer of these words, knew how hard always joy would be. You see, he wrote these words from prison, Philippians 1 verse 13. It clearly states there that he was in prison, he was in chains. Yet even in the loneliness and uncertainty of captivity, he found real happiness. He could, Paul could say, always rejoice, always have joy, because he had suffered so much and he had rejoiced even in those dark, lonely and painful places. Now, many people have been in very dark, lonely and painful places, particularly over these last 18 months. For many people, it's been like you've been literally in a prison, in captivity. You've been bound. And I read something around this. I want to help you with it, and if anybody wants it, I can it with you. But I was reading something, and it says this, Never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in a prison cell. If you only enjoy God when life seems good, follow Paul's joy to something more precious than gold. Even much fine gold, something sweeter than honey, and anything else you might enjoy in this life. Never settle for a small G God who cannot satisfy you in a prison cell. Paul found God who could satisfy him in the prison cell. That is why he was able to say, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Now we see joy in adverse circumstances, but what about chapter 2? Because it's talking there about joy in humility. Now we need to look at the, the walk of Jesus. And Jesus' walk was a humble walk. In fact, in Philippians 2 verse 2, Paul writes and he leads into teaching about Jesus, which we'll come on to. But he says to the church there, make my joy complete by being like-minded. By being like-minded. What he was basically saying is follow the way of Jesus. 
the like-mindedness of Jesus. We're going to look at the life of Jesus and how he lived his life. And if you will do this, you will make my joy complete. But not only Paul's joy will be complete, your joy will be made complete. And he spoke into this particular passage of humility because he was a massive issue in the first century. You see, this virtue of humility was not esteemed. It was not valued. It was not sought in the first century. It feels like very much the first century and the 21st century are very much like one another. Wouldn't you agree? Because this is not a virtue that's really talked about too much of humility. You don't see BBC news presenter talking about a a humble act on the news. All we see is that really is the flamboyancy of sin. Wouldn't you agree? It's true. There seems like, you know, humility is downplayed. That is why this is my only football reference. I do actually love whatever the, whatever the scoreline tonight, and of course, I will be cheering England on. I think we have a, an England manager who's not perfect, but I'm telling you, he has carried himself with great humility. Great humility. And that is the thing that's really drew a lot of people in to the, to the, to the man. When he's giving credit to his assistant coaches, because I, I, how many of you know, if anything good happens, it's not usually the man at the top who's the guy. It's the guys behind him who's making him look great. And I love that Gareth Southgate give great praise, Phil and I were talking about it, to his assistant coach, Steve Holland. There's my only football uh, analogy. Is that okay? Humility. Humility, and it's really, it's like we're gobsmacked because it's not a value in the 21st century and neither was it in the first century because the language of the first century and of our century is this. You've heard me say this before. Be number one. Climb to the top. Seek the top of the table. Have you ever heard this? I'm always right. It's your fault, never mine. I'm not taking responsibility. You can. I'm not. (laughs) I have no need of others. I live as an island. Some people would say this. Get ahead and use force if necessary. Position, power, and prestige are yours for the taking. And this is the, the, the theme that runs through the century that we're in. I have no need of God. I have no need of God. Now, all these statements are prideful. Now, let me just say about pride, it has an attitude. It has an aura. It has a fragrance. It has a stance. It has a swagger. I've used the Liam Gallagher. Anybody like here, Oasis? Yeah. And he stands like this and he's giving it large. It has that kind of attitude. It has a presence. And this, this uh, value says in our own lives and in the life of the world in which we live that it's all about me. It's not about anybody else. And I'm telling you, it's like a drink. It's like a drink. It's subtle. It's sweet. It's seductive. It's intoxicating, but it leads to death. What a sad place to reside. 
in the place of pride. Jesus summed it up this way. People were pursuing things and he says, you've gained the whole world and you forfeit your own soul. Pride. Now Jesus, he modeled and taught something that was just, wow. He modeled a lifestyle of real humility. I just caught the tail end, Caroline and I, and a couple of the kids caught the tail end of the film on BBC One, The Darkest Hour by Winston Churchill. And we've watched it before, but we hadn't seen it for a little while. And some of you may have watched it on BBC yesterday. And I just saw his final, saw, heard his final speech. We'll find him on the beaches. We'll find him on the street. I mean, I was getting pretty pumped, Sharon. I was getting pretty pumped. And I love, I love messages. I remember as a young man listening to the tapes. That was how long ago it was. Getting them out of the library. Again, I'm showing my age now. Get, lending them from the library. You had to book it out. You had to pay your money for a CD or a tape. Can you remember those days? Yeah. The kids are going, what on earth are you all about that? Okay listening to them and the speeches of Martin Luther King and just some great speeches. But honestly, in my opinion, this, this, this what I'm just going to reference for a moment is the greatest message of all. We don't have it on tape. We don't have it on CD. Oh, the joy of that, eh? I wonder, I wonder if everything is pre-recorded in heaven because heaven's an amazing place so we can actually listen to this message from Jesus. I don't know. But the message that I'm re- referencing is the Sermon on the Mount. Because Jesus preached the most amazing message. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I'd encourage you to just get in the New Testament and read the book of Matthew, and particularly Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And you will, they'll call it the Sermon on the Mount. It's basically called that because he preached it from the mountainside. And there was a huge crowd. And this, this message has, has, has now infiltrated into other religions. That's where they've got it from, the words of Jesus. It's infiltrated into business. It's infiltrated into civic life. And they try and own it. That's what makes me smile. They try and, you know, I've been to business seminars and they're saying stuff. And I'm thinking, I know where this is from. And they're doing it. It's like, yeah, I quote, have you worked? This is Jesus. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus said the most remarkable things. And we read in Matthew 5, verse 3. And by the way, it was remarkable, this message, because he was addressing human behaviors. He was touching the hearts of men and the minds of men and women. And he says here in Matthew 5 verse 3, then he began his teaching by saying to them, how happy are the humble minded for the kingdom of heaven is this. Come on, you've got to say this with me after three. One, two, three. Then he began his teaching. Come on, all together. One, two, three. Then he began his teaching by saying to them, How happy are the humble-minded, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus, at the very start of his teaching, is addressing the issue of humble-mindedness. And he says, those who live with humility, you, you will inherit the kingdom of God. He says that those people who live with this virtue, they're content, they're complete, they're blessed, they're confident. Because they live with humility. Now we don't find it because we don't go looking for it. 
and because we don't value it. Because everybody is about self-exaltation and self-promotion. And we must deculturalize. I don't know whether that's a word, but I've made it up even if it isn't. I like making English words up, actually. It's quite fun and, and entertaining. We must deculturalize ourselves from this virtue and this value that seeps through our world and seeps into our own hearts. We must detox from the world. Some people just have a juice diet and the detox in the body, and I get why you know, they're doing that. But we've got to detox, we've got to deculturalize ourselves from this position of pride, of pride. Because we want to live, and we need to live like Jesus has asked us to. That means to say, we're not going to always seek the advantage and get ahead and try and get the best places. In fact, we're going to do what Jesus asked us to do, which was be as the servant of all. So let's just, before we go to Philippians, because I do want to get there. A number of weeks ago, Phil, on our leadership track, we were addressing the issues of the heart and we tagged that evening and he spoke of around the subject of humility. And if anybody wasn't on there would like his notes, I'd encourage you to just email the office and we can get them to you. And in there he quoted a man by the name of John Dixon who wrote a great book called Humilitas. And I, I love the, the, the phrase. It really sums up beautifully, Phil, what humility is. So let me just give it to you in a, in a couple of sentences. Humility is the noble choice to forgo your status and deploy your resources and use your influence for the good of others before yourself. That is a beautiful summary of what humility is. He uses the language of forego, lay down, go second for the sake of others. This has not been a doormat. This is not allowing people to ride roughshod over us. This is not allowing people to say what they want and we just say, well, we need to be humble. No, 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 no. There are times when we have to address things and we will. But this is something completely different where we allow others to go before us. The simplest way that I can do this is it's a big challenge to me and I don't like it. And Caroline will know this, that oftentimes I want to get ahead in the traffic. So I'm in the traffic and there's a, a turning in, I'm not, not very good on, on that, but anyway, you, I'll get, get the idea. There's a car that's wanting to turn into the traffic, and we're now stopped. Yes, and there's nothing coming that way, and he now wants to get in, and I'm thinking, there's no way you're getting ahead of me, pal. I need to get somewhere. Anybody else ever had that kind of attitude? Come on, be honest with me. Anybody had that kind of attitude? Oh, you're all making me feel terrible now, because there's so many hands not up. That's in essence. You may say, really, Christian? Yeah, I do think it is. Because basically, you forgo your own status. You allow others to go before you. And the reality is, as Caroline has reminded me many times, and yet I completely disregard Caroline's advice and thought about it, she often say to me, Christian, you'll only gain a few seconds. But in my mind, those seconds ma matter and count. Hey, John, they matter and count. <laughs> What speaks there? Pride. Because actually they don't matter. Wouldn't it be a far better thing for them and for me to have less blood pressure? Wouldn't it be far better for me to just say, yes, come on in, even if they don't say thank you? <laughs> They're having less blood pressure because they've got into the traffic easier. 
You see how this works? And Jesus leveraged his life for the sake of others. So we've defined it, but can I also say, it's no good just defining it, we have to show it. So let's launch in, shall we, to Philippians in chapter 2 and verse 2. I want you to know I've got five points and then I've got another seven points, but I don't want you all sinking your seat, thinking, flipping out where we're going here. I'm going to race through them, particularly the last list. I'm going to race through them because I'm going to give you the how. How do we develop humility? So let's launch, launch into it. Philippians 2 verse 2. And this is what he reads. And I'm going to read it from the Passion Translation because it really just is a little bit more graphic. So Paul writes, so I'm asking you, my friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart and one passion and united in one love and walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. This is a nice picture that he's painting. This feels like we're skipping in the fields with rainbows and sunshines and unicorns, hey? But it's possible. This is what he's encouraging us to do, to live in the context, and it's about a choice. Verse 3, he says, Be free. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. So if you want verse 2, you've got to do verse 3. If you want unity, you've got to then put aside your pride-filled opinions. He then says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. When I read that a couple of years ago, it wrecked me. But in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests And verse 5, consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. Can I do a straw poll here? I want you to be honest. Who feels challenged by reading those verses? Just raise your hands. I think we all should. Because it's a challenge to our human behavior. So let's consider a few things as we think of joy of humility and really what they are they're they're not five steps because I'm not into all that they're like a funnel that leads us towards humility and true joy so these five things I'm going to talk about they're going to put through and it will bring us to the funnel of joy and humility joy and humility so first of all number one be joined in unity everybody say with me be joined in unity Let's just break this down really quickly. That means to say that we're united here. If we're part of the family of Arena, we're united. You might say, well, I'm not sure sure about Lisa and Louise and Kath. They get on my nerves a bit, you know. I'm just picking on them. They they really get on my nerves. Well, they might get on your nerves, but we've got to get along with them. (laughs) They actually don't get on my nerves. I'm just using that as an illustration and example. You might say, that Christian... Oh, he right gets on my nerves. He goes on and on and on. So it's the same thing. Well, that might be the case, and I'm on a bit of a journey. Sharon's nodding her head there, which is, just tells you exactly where the teaching pastor's wife's at, okay, with regards to me. But I don't care. You've got to learn to get along with me. I know, I know you don't. You've got... 
I'm just helping everybody to understand what does this mean? It means we be joined in unity. It means we're united. We're going to walk harmoniously. If I was able to walk amongst you, we'd walk harmoniously in purpose and on purpose. Who gets along with all your family all the time? Of course you don't. If I was to ask my children, there'd be things, oh, Dad. But they're not going to throw me off and sack me off. We're going to continue to walk together as a family. This is what we talk about in the church. I'm always surprised why our people can walk away from church families so easily. Guys, we're called to walk together in unity. Be joined in unity. Deferring and preferring one another. John, the come down how that works out is I defer and prefer to John. John, yeah, please go ahead of me. We're queuing up for some food. That'll be a great day, won't we, when we're able to get some food together. Come on, amen. We're looking forward to that. John, no, come on in. No, come on, John. And it's not fake. It joins us together in unity. It's a choice. And by the way, this is a choice. You might say, well, they irritate me, those three ladies at the back. Let me pick on them again. They really irritate me. Well, they might do, but it's a choice to not get irritated by them. Am I speaking to anybody today? Number two. By the way, this is in the Bible. So I'm only taking, I'm breaking this text down in a very simple way. Number two. Live with love towards others and God. Live with love towards others and God. Because he then says in Philippians 2, with one heart, one passion, united in one love. The verse that's really been ringing around, there's many verses that have been ringing around over these last numbers of months. But that verse where it says, if you will love others by this, everyone will know. You're my disciples. We were talking about marketing the project. We've opened the project. You can imagine it's been tough for us. The guys and just getting on, and many of you have been involved in that. You've done a terrific job. Thank you for getting us to where we are. We was only been opening the project for nine weeks out of the whole lockdown, and all the money that we seek to make from that is poured into our community work. So there's a vision behind it, and it's a great vision. But we've been talking about setting it up and getting it going again. And we will do that, marketing campaigns and all the rest of it. But let me tell you, some churches go down that track. We're going to market here, we're going to market there. I'm not saying we can't promote through what we're doing. But you know the greatest marketing tool that we have? Love. By this, everyone know, we'll know that you're my disciple if you love one another. We're marked with love. And we express it and we let it fuel our hearts. Thirdly. Paul says, not only love and not only walk and be determined to live with a choice of humility, but you've got to free yourself from pride-filled opinions. <laughs> We've got to untangle the mess. I'm going to get a phrase. Phil will probably tell me off, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Okay? Some people are so far up themselves. That's my phrase. A nicer way of saying it is, they're a little conceited. I prefer the first rather than the latter. Okay? We all get the thought. And by the way, sometimes in our lives, we've probably all been so far up ourselves. And Paul addresses this and he's saying, he says it nicely, be free, free from pride-filled opinions. Proverbs 16, verse 2, it should come on the screen. This is a word for somebody today. But it says this, we are all in love with our own opinions, convinced they're correct. 
And that affects some of the brightest, some of the more brilliant, some of the genius. I've come across some brilliant, genius people who are incredibly humble, but I've also come across some genius, brilliant people who have been so far, you know the phrase, okay? And here we see, Paul says, that we need to free ourselves from pride-filled opinions. And the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom says we're all in love with our own opinions, convinced, convinced they're correct. We need to have a reality check. We're not always right. And we need to take the language of Paul, be free. We've got to untangle ourselves from this. I'll help you in a moment how we do that. But if we do not untangle ourselves from this, what it will do, it will affect our cherished unity. I have been in conversations with people where I've implored people not to go down a particular track and they're saying to themselves, I'm right, they're, they're wrong. And it goes somewhere. And what it does is separates our unity. There's a separation that happens. And it affects our togetherness. Fourthly, he then goes on to say, are you still with me? Yeah. <laughs> are you still with me? Yeah. Okay. Live with authentic humility. Because he drives deeper. He's just like a master wordsmith. He just drives ever deeper. Stay with me for a moment. He says in, I think it's verse 4, but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. There are some traders in this, in this building. There are some traders in, in, our, in our church. They trade. and They trade used goods. And they're always looking for vintage, authentic it's no good having vintage unauthentic because that means the copies, that means they're fake, that means they're worth less, yes? But if you have something that's vintage and authentic, that's worth, oh, Lilia, let it rain, let it rain, okay? That could mean the dollars, yes? And this is what Paul is addressing here. He's not talking about the, the trading of clothes or equipment or cars or things. He's talking about our humility, is it authentic? Is it reals? Will it stand the test of time? Will it stand the litmus test? Will it come under the scrutiny of the master craftsman who has developed, he knows, humility? If our lives are placed before the master and he searches deep within, what will he find? Will he find authentic, real humility or will he find fake? And this is what Paul is addressing. He's saying, I want you to live with authentic, not just words. Anybody can give off words. But will it stand the test of time? Very quickly, an example, Billy Graham, the evangelist. It's a book that Phil and I were very impacted many, many years ago. The Leadership Secrets of Billy Graham. Remarkable because he was an organizational master. He was brilliant, not just an evangelist. And there's one chapter that is worth the book alone. It's called Redeeming the Ego. Billy was able to walk with the presidents, but also walk with the lowly. Why? Because he'd redeemed his ego. He was unspoiled. When he passed before the master's touch, and he passed before the crowds, and passed before those of prominence and lowly, they all said the same of him. What an authentic humility that Dr. Billy Graham carried. This is what Paul is addressing. Oh, we, and how do we do that? Well, number five, we've got to put away ambition and vanity. All these are deserving of a, their own 
thoughts in their own rights. But let me go to the text because he says, consider others first. Verse 4, abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Now these are the funnel that passes through, guys. And it all leads us to humility. Let me just take you back to, I think it's verse 4, or no, it's verse 5, because then Paul says this. It may come up on the screen, I don't know, but he says, let, he says his, but I'm going to do that. Let this mindset become your motivation. Let this mindset become your motivation. The mindset of the humble walk of Jesus. The servant, the servant Jesus. Because Jesus and Paul are leading us to the point where it says, if you will do these things, this will lead you to a joy and a humility that cannot be surpassed. You know, the most important, impactful, inspiring people are always marked by humility. So in the couple of minutes that I have with you, because I've heard a lot of messages around this, how do we deepen, cultivate, possess this quality? Because this is a quality that is not easy to get a hold of in this world. You can understand it, can't you now, why it's so difficult for us to live with it, because we're not encouraged into it. So let me give you seven things. I'm just going to race through them. Number one, if you want to develop it, and please, I'm asking everybody to search your hearts. Take the Psalm 139. Test me, search me, know me, God, in this moment. If there's anything, then just shine the light on it. Number one, if you want to deepen it, develop it, possess it, we have to admit your weaknesses. Admit your weaknesses. Somebody in business once told me, never show your weaknesses. That put something in me in that moment. <laughs> if we want to have a, pri- a, a, a humble life, we need to admit our weaknesses. Number two, we need to be patient with others' weaknesses. I find this very difficult. Because usually their weaknesses are not mine. Is that true? In a husband and wife team, there's a strong point, there's a weakness. But what about those weaknesses that you really struggle with? Thirdly, you've got to be open to correction. In fact, you've got to invite it. You've got to invite it. You've got to ask people, will you tell me the truth? Will you tell me the honest to God truth? Number four, this is a great one. Put the spotlight on others. Exalt, encourage, promote. A number of years ago, I really felt the Lord speaking to me about this. And not because I was incredibly prideful, but I knew there was areas in my life, in my journey, in this area where I needed to deal with. I've been accused of this all through my life, all through my journey, of being prideful up myself, all those things. There was a time when I was a young teenager, that, that would be true. That has certainly not been the, been the case over the course of me leading this church. There's been times when I've had to have a redress and and address things, but fundamentally I've sought to live with humility, whatever anybody thinks about me. But I said to the Lord one time, Lord, I really want to get even better in this area. And I remember him saying to me, there's one area you can work on then, shine the spotlight on others. 
promote, exalt, encourage others. Do it publicly. So I often will do this. I'll often say about how good somebody is. Why? Because it does something in me. <laughs> it does something in me. When you're tempted to take the credit for something, it does something in you. It reminds you, this is a team. We are in this together. I could not do this without Phil Pye here. He is amazing. Wouldn't we agree? Yes. I couldn't do that. I'm going to get in trouble now. I couldn't do what we do without Lisa Harrison in our community. She is amazing. Wouldn't we agree? Come on, I need more than that, Lisa. (laughs) I could go through. We couldn't do what we do without small groups. And this lady's doing an amazing job leading the group. Marie, terrific. Raising a great lad. You get it. Fifthly. Prefer others above yourselves. That's easy to understand. In that food queue, in that buffet, when we get back to buffets, oh, thank you, Jesus. You do realize there's going to be buffets in heaven. 24 hour. Oh, 24 hour, baby. Okay, I thought I'd get a laugh, but anyway, we'll move on. (laughs) Number six, remember your life pre Christ. If all else fails, go back to where you came from. Where were you? What were you like? What were you behaving? Oh, and I remember. I remember what I was like as a 15-year-old. I do remember. I do remember. And all I can say is, Jesus, you have been so good to this Mansfield boy. You've been so good to me. Thank you. And number seven, deflect, reflect, and praise. Always to Jesus. Whatever you don't turn into praise will turn into pride. Whatever you do not turn into praise. So that's why there's a good thing for us to come and worship God and we are going to have our masks off soon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And we're going to bring praise because if we do not turn it into praise it has the potential to turn into pride. Time is gone. Let me give you this, this thought this prayer, I was reading a book only yesterday and it really spoke to me. I thought I'll use this.